Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Today we are wrapping up our series Last day's Q&A, common questions about the end times. And it has been an enjoyable series, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that I'm happy it's coming to an end. It's been quite the journey, but I pray that it's been a helpful one for you. Uh, as we've said every week that I've been with you, I've said that there are several guidelines that, uh, that we are uh, using in this series to help us. Uh, number one, we've said we recognize that Scripture tells us Jesus is coming back. He is going to return in bodily form. He is coming again. Secondly, we said that the Bible doesn't tell us everything about the end times. But it does tell us some things, and, and, and that leads to the third, that, listen, we can abuse the study of end times. If our study of the last things becomes the main thing about our faith journey, we've missed it, all right? At the same time, we do believe that there is a call for a healthy study of what God is doing and what he is going to do in the end. And so with those guidelines, we're going to dive in today to answer the question, what is the new heavens and the new earth? I was incredibly encouraged yesterday at our men's conference. I don't need to speak to that. We've already spoken to that enough. But uh, one moment for me that was intriguing is when Jace Robertson was speaking. And he made the statement, very definitive statement. He said, if anyone tries to tell you what heaven's going to be like, they're guessing. And I thought, well, thank you, Jace. I'm preaching on that tomorrow. <laughs> Jerk. Uh, no. Uh, <clears throat> But you know, in some ways, he's absolutely right. I mean, he is. And I've told you that when we're dealing with end times, we're dealing with a genre, a certain type of literature of scripture called apocalyptic, which is challenging to understand because it deals with a lot of signs and symbols. But we also recognize that it can be challenging because it doesn't tell us everything. Doesn't give us every detail about what heaven is going to be like. So, so yes, at some level we're guessing, but I want you to understand today that we are not making an uneducated guess. Uh, what, what I'm going to put before you today is, for the most part, I would say I feel very confident rooted in Scripture what it says. Now, there are some places, and I'll be honest with you today, where I'll say, listen, this is my opinion. This is, this is what I think. But I do think Scripture gives us enough that we can look at this and get a glimpse of what it's going to be like. There's no way that even if I had the greatest understanding of anyone on the face of the earth of exactly what the end is going to be like, there's no way I could, could, could any way do justice to the reality of what it will be. Think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I think that is true in our faith journey, but I also think it is true of the place that he is preparing for us. Now there is a misconception, many misconceptions when it comes to the end times of what people believe. Uh, some people have this idea that heaven is going to be, man, I'm going to be hanging out, floating on a cloud, wearing a diaper, playing the harp. Right? We, we have this expectation of, golly, I mean, I, you know, I get worn out listening to Michael preach for 35 minutes, let alone all of eternity, having to be up there in one long worship service, right? There, there's some misconceptions we have. And so today, I want to help us understand what is true. 
Because if we have a misunderstanding of what heaven is going to be like, we're not going to long for it the way I think God intends for us to long for it. Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, which is one of the predominant works on heaven. It's a great book if you're interested on this subject. But he said this, Satan need not convince us that heaven exists. He only needs to convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. And so today, I hope that maybe we can right some wrongs from God's word so that a stirring in your heart would grow of longing for that day and what is to come. And today, we're going to do it by working through Revelation chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 1 through 8. So I want to encourage you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. John says, beginning in verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear. From their eyes, death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray together. God, we recognize that today at some level we're doing some guessing. But Father, we believe that your word has given us enough here to make some real educated guesses. And so, Father, as we dive into this study, I pray that, Jesus, as we walk out of here, that while our appreciation and our desire of what is to come, of what you're preparing for us, as that would grow, Lord, I pray that above that, that our affection for you would grow. Lord, would we recognize today that that you are the reward of eternity. And so, Spirit of God, would you speak in our time together today. And as your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we dive into this text today, we're going to see that God will establish our final and forever home. I want you to understand that what we see here in Revelation 21 is something that has not happened yet. And it may lead to an immediate question of, well, What does that mean for those who have already died? I know Evan covered part of this last week, but I just want to remind us that what we're looking at today is is an event that is yet to come. At the same time, we recognize that with the thief on the cross, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Scripture tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Philippians 1. Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The life that I live, I live to Christ. He says, but it'd be far better to go and to be with Christ. So we understand from Scripture that that for those that have moved from 
from this life to the next, for those that are in Christ that have trusted Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sin, at this moment, they are with Christ. But they have yet to experience Revelation 21. It's what's known as the intermediate state. But when we come to Revelation 21, we see, and I believe as Jesus in John 14, as he told his disciples, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And today we get to dive into the place that I believe that Jesus was speaking of here. The place that he was preparing, not just for his disciples, but for us. And as we work through the text, I want to give you four observations from this text of what it tells us to answer the question, what is the new heavens and the new earth? First is this, first observation, is we're speaking here of a new creation. A new creation. Look at me again in verse 1 and 2. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. One of the things I first want you to notice in this text is the very first thing that John says here, the first three words, then I saw. You can circle that in your Bible if you want. If you go back to chapter 19 and you track from chapter 19 through chapter 20 into chapter 21, you see that seven times John is going to use this phrase, then I saw, then I saw, then I saw, then I saw. What I believe you're seeing here is this chronological uh, sequence of events that are unfolding. And this is the last This is the last one that we see here in Revelation 21. The last time he says, then I saw. And what does he see? He tells us here, a new heaven and a new earth. And that word new is very, very important for us to have a clear glimpse of what God is going to do in the end. When we hear that word new, it can have different meanings to it. Sometimes we can think new means the beginning of a sequence of events. But I want you to understand that the word that John is using here is not talking about the beginning of a sequence of events. He's talking about something that is qualitatively new. I think a good picture of that. I remember when I was in college, I got my first phone, a sweet flip phone. And man, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Students, you'll have to ask your parents what that is. All right. And then when I got my first full-time job in ministry, the church gave me a phone to use. And that phone was called a BlackBerry. And a BlackBerry was amazing because it had an entire keyboard on it. You remember that? I don't know how we typed things with those buttons being so small. Are you with me? And what was amazing about a BlackBerry is that you could send email from it. And you could get email from it, right? Students, the games were lame. But they were terrible. You had a game called Snake, and that was it, right? Like if you were out to eat and you wanted to borrow your phone from your parents because you were bored, all you could really do was send emails for them, right? I mean, it 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 was a drag. But then there was a moment where this guy Steve Jobs got up and said, let me introduce you to a thing called the iPhone. It's fascinating if you go back and watch it. I did recently, a couple of months ago. And you go back and you see Steve Jobs introducing the world to what an app is. He was having to go such a basic level before he ever got to talking about a phone to just explain what an app was. You see, in some ways, there was continuity between my flip phone and an iPhone. But when, when, when I had a flip phone, if I would have gotten an iPhone, to say that I got a new phone would have been an understatement, right? 
Because I went from a flip phone with Snake to an iPhone that I could watch TV on wherever I go. There was continuity, but it was so much more glorious than that flip phone. I think what John is seeing here is a recognition that there is a new heaven and a new earth that is coming. That there is continuity, but, but from a qualitative sense, it is something so much more glorious than what we know today. When we look at Revelation 21 and we see the creation of this new heaven and new earth, I believe no doubt there is a link to what God did in the first few chapters of Genesis. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 60 through 66, we see it's speaking of these new heavens and new earth in the, in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 65, 17, 18, listen to what it says here. The prophet Isaiah says, speaking, he says, I will create the new heavens and the new earth. The past events will not be remembered to come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people a delight. So we see here this understanding, this connection of what God is doing in the new heavens and the new earth. If you heard in that verse three times, he's using that same word in the Hebrew that is used in Genesis. That idea of creating. He is creating something new, qualitatively new. And we see here, it tells us in 21, verse, verse 1, that the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now this shouldn't surprise us. In Mark chapter 13, we see that Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like that, that this heaven, the first heaven and the first earth are going to pass away? Well, there's debate about that. Some would argue that it means that this world as we know it will be non-existent. That God is going to start over from scratch. Others would argue that God is going to take this world and he is going to renovate it into this more glorious version of itself. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writing on this issue, he says, Since all these things are being dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. He goes on to say, Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So some commentators would want to argue what Peter is saying here, that the earth, in a sense, will have this nuclear atomic level implosion of itself. Others would say that this fire that is being spoken of here is not one that destroys, but it is one that refines. So the understanding here it is that God is going to take what we know and what we experience here in creation and is going to return it, I believe, to a sense of Eden. But even more glorious than even what we understand the Garden of Eden to be. And so there is this new heavens and new earth, this new creation that is coming. You see here in the text, it tells us, and for the beach lovers in here, I'm sorry, but it says the sea was no more. Some of you just got real bummed. Let me tell you, I want to remind you, this is apocalyptic language. Could it be that it means that there will be no sea in the new heavens and new earth? Absolutely, it could be. I don't think that's the case. I think here he's speaking, again, in symbolic language. I think he's speaking here of evil and wickedness. He's saying, listen, in the new heavens and new earth, that those things will not exist anymore. 
in this new creation that God is bringing, this gloriously renovated creation. This is not in the text, but I just want to answer it for us today because, again, some of us have an understanding that heaven, that the eternal life is going to be for all of eternity, just floating around as this, uh, this spirit, soul, empty body, just kind of this, woo, Casper the ghost thing, all right? But when we look at Scripture, we understand that that is not the case. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. I think what John is speaking to here in this moment is when we look at the example of the resurrected Christ, we see in the Gospels that Jesus was walking around. He was talking with people. People recognized him. He was eating fish with them. Amen. All right. So there are things that he was doing. And John is making the point saying, listen, we will be like him. We go to 1 Corinthians 15, and we can see that it tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. That means he is not just the first to come in sequence, but he is a type. He is a sample of what is to come. That for those that are in Christ Jesus, that in that moment when the dead are raised, that you and I will take on glorified bodies. where We don't have to count macros anymore. We don't have to worry about what we eat. We don't have to worry about how much. We, it will be a beautiful, glorified body. And so these new heavens and new earth will be filled with these new glorified bodies. And these new glorified bodies, as we see here in chapter 21, are going to experience a new reality. Look at me here in verse 3 and 4. To see the new reality that will come with these new heavens and new earth. It tells us here, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look! God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them, and he will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Don't you long for that day? And I do. As I have walked and continue to walk with so many of you through the trials of life, some of you, even this week, dealing with death in the family, tragedy in your family, struggles at work. And the hope for us today is there a day that is coming when death will be no more. Grief and crying and pain will be no more. But I don't want us to jump to that. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. Because of what's most important is, I think, what we find in verse 3. That this new reality will consist of, I think, a, a new relationship to God. Because it tells us here that we will be with God. Now we know Jesus said that, listen, when he is going, there is a better one that's coming after him. He's speaking of the Spirit, right? The Spirit will come after him. The Spirit of God lives and resides in us. We recognize that. But what is coming is this new reality where we will be in the presence of God. And he says here, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. It means in the new heavens, new earth, you will see God. And John here, I think very intentionally, as he's recording this, the word that he uses here, that God's dwelling is with humanity. That word is where we get the word tabernacle from the Old Testament, where God dwelt with his people. It is the word that John uses in John chapter 1, where he's writing his gospel account of Jesus. In John 1.14, it says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So John's saying in the same way that he was able to walk with Jesus, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, in the same way that he experienced that type of relationship and intimacy with Jesus, the understanding here, the throne from the voice says that it will be that type of intimacy and communion with God. We will be with him. We will be in the fullness of his glory. Even to the degree as we go down in chapter 21 and we look in verse 23, it tells us that the city, this is speaking of the new Jerusalem, the capital city of the new heavens and new earth. It says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because, it's glory, because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamp. We will experience the fullness of God. We will experience the fullness of his glory. We will be with God. And in reality, that is what heaven is. Heaven is where God is. And we'll be with him in his presence to experience him in a new, intimate way. And so we'll be with God. He'll be in our presence. We'll be in his presence. But we also understand the new reality and how we relate to one another and our experience while we're there. And we see that again in verse 4. The death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Notice what it says here. Because the previous things have passed away. What's he thinking of there when he says the previous things have passed away? Well, I think we see that in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. It, it, it's, it's the observation there that in the new heavens and the new earth, it says there will no longer be any curse. Right? The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and the servants will worship Him. The curse will be gone. Sin and its effects on us and the world will be gone. And because of that, I love in Tolkien's book, The Lord of the Rings, where Sam asks Gandalf, is everything sad going to become untrue? And the answer is yes, in the new heavens and the new earth. This will be a new reality for us. It will be foreign to our experience because sin touches everything in our lives. But because sin will be no more, neither will death Grief, crying, and pain. Let me, I want to do this for you real quick. Just answer some rapid fire questions. Because I know there's, a, again, there's a lot of questions that come with what is heaven going to be like. Let me just answer real quickly here some questions that maybe you have. Will we recognize one another? Yes, I believe that we will. Will we be married in heaven? Jesus made it clear. No, we will not be married. But I do think in the intimacy and the communion among all peoples, the nature of your relationship with your spouse will be so intimate and so different and so better than it is now, we won't miss that. We won't miss it. Will my dog be in heaven? Maybe. There's some of my dogs I hope will be, and some of my dogs I hope won't be, right? <laughs> Just being honest. I'll tell you this that bird that was here two weeks ago, it will not be in heaven. I'll tell you that. Next question. Will my cat be in hell? <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Will we be able to enjoy our hobbies and passions? I think so. Again, we're going to have glorified bodies. We're going to experience God in his fullness what I've found to be true in my life is that when I'm full of joy, man, my heart turns in praise to him. 
And so I think in our glorified bodies, we'll be able to experience the things in life that we enjoy. We'll get to enjoy our hobbies and our passions. Will we remember our experiences on earth? There's some difference here in understanding. Again, this is a moment where I'm saying this is me speaking. This is not scripture specifically speaking this issue. I, I think to some degree we will be able to. In Isaiah 65, verse 17, it says this, Behold, I will create new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And at some degree, you could take that verse and translate it. Well, it's clear there that the former things will not be remembered. So, so nothing from the life that we experience this side of eternity will be remembered. But I, I would want to push back on that. I do think, and again, there's not going to be grief, sorrow, crying, so I don't think we'll look back on our life this side of eternity and and remember the things that that, that would produce those things in us, but I do think that we will be able to look back and remember the things that only increase our joy and increase our praise of God. I think that to be the case. Now again, I could be wrong. When we get to the new heavens, new earth, you can come up and you can tell me that I was wrong and I don't think I'll be mad at you. I don't think I'll be able to. So... But listen, above all those questions, here's what I want you to catch. You'll be in God's presence. And the curse of sin, all the things in your life, the shame, the guilt, the regrets, the frustration, the anxiety, all of it, the sickness, all of it will be no more. There's a new reality that is waiting for the believer in Christ. Next thing, a new future. Verse 5 and 6. It says, then the one seated on the throne said. I want you to take note of that. It's different than verse 3. Verse 3 it says, then I heard a voice from the throne. Now it's telling us the one seated on the throne. Who's that? Yeah, we're, we're hearing from God himself. God is speaking now. What's interesting This is the only other time that God speaks in the book of Revelation except for Revelation chapter 1. Only other time. Maybe chapter 16, but really chapter 1 and right here. It's the only time we hear from God himself. He says, look, or behold, I am making everything new. He also said, write. Write this down. Because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. This here is a moment, a new future. A new future. Here's what I mean by that. In this moment when God speaks, and again, he summarizes what we've read really from verse 1 to verse 4. What he's saying, he summarizes, listen, I'm making all things new. All of it. But then this moment where he says this definitive statement, it is done. For some of you, that reminds you of what Jesus said on the cross, doesn't it? It is finished. I think on the cross, when Jesus saying it is finished, it was a a recognition of Jesus. that The purpose of his coming, the payment of sin, the sacrifice for our rebellion had been paid in full. 
But at this moment, when he says, it is done, God here is recognizing not just the end of the eschaton, of the last things, the end times, what we've, what we've studied in this series, the tribulation, the antichrist, the great white throne judgment, the millennial reign. All, he's not just saying that those things are done. He's saying that all of history as we have known it has come to an end. He's saying a line has been drawn in the sand. It is done. There is a new future for those that are in Christ Jesus. As I read this and was pondering about the significance of this moment, all I could think about was was the cancer patient. Some of you, you've you've walked this journey. Some of you, you're you're in this journey right now. But you you hear that word and it's a life-changing word when you're sitting there with the doctor and you think, man, I thought this was something for someone else. And now all of a sudden you recognize that that someone else is you. And the doctor says, listen, we've got a plan and we can fight this, but it's not going to be easy. And it's going to take a toll on your body. But you have to recognize that this toll is necessary for your healing. And so you make the decision that I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm going to fight this with every fiber in my being. And so you start this plan of running this plan of radiation and chemo. And it beats your body to death. But for some in this room, you've had the experience that the doctor said, we feel really good about this treatment plan. That if you submit yourself to this treatment plan and you complete it, we feel like you have got your future in front of you. And so you take on that radiation, you take on those chemo treatments, and you're counting them down. From 60 to 50 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10, and then we get to single digits, and man, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And finally, you go for that last treatment. And over on the wall, they have a bell. And they say, we want you to go over there, and we want you to ring that bell to signify that you've done it. And so as you go over and you ring that bell, as you ring that bell, tears fall down your cheeks. Because you're thinking not just the completion of the suffering and pain that you have walked through. But you ring that bell with tears because you think of the future you have in front of you. And at this moment, I I believe that this is a moment that that God is is ringing the bell. Saying that that the effects of the curse of sin, the brokenness that has come. All the rebellion that has happened. Even creation itself and the effects of sin on creation, all of that, it is done. And now there is a new future to look to. It's a glorious thing to think of, a glorious moment to consider. And we recognize that God and God alone is the one who can ring that bell as he points us to his character here. As he says in verse 6, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God's saying, I'm the originator and I am the consummator. I have completed it. I and I alone can do this. And he leaves us here with a promise and a final warning. Look at me in verse 7 and 8. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. The cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so we see this moment as John is seeing this revelation of what is to come, this new creation, 
a new reality, a new future. He, he sees it. But, but there is this moment of, of not skipping over. That this new heavens and this new earth is not for everybody. And I know last week, if you heard last week, Evan again did a great job of helping us understand the significance of the great white throne judgment. And, and, and I want to be careful that you understand me here because when I say a final warning... The final warning was given to John at this moment, and it was given for the first century church, and it was given to us today. This is not a final warning for those that are not believers in Christ. It's not a moment that God is going to create the new heavens and the new earth, that they will come down, that the new Jerusalem will come down, that the curse of sin will be gone, that that he will say it is done, that there is this new future in front of us. And then at that moment, we'll say, okay, now listen, final warning I want to be clear. God is giving you that warning now. And that's the moment that we see here. He's saying, listen, this is a beautiful, hope-filled, peaceful, full of joy promise that is awaiting you. But not all of you. And so we look at this list and maybe for some of us we get real nervous because we think, golly, There's been moments in my life where I've been a coward. There's been moments where I've been faithless. I know that I've lied in my life. Gosh, is that me? I I want you to understand that this list that he he puts together here, this this is a list where he's speaking simply of the character of the unbeliever. He's saying this will not be for the unbeliever. The unbeliever has already been dealt with. We talked about that last week. God God has handed them over to what they wanted, a life apart from God. But if you're a believer in here today, Before we get on our high horse thinking that the new heavens and new earth is something that we deserve, I want to remind you of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When he asks the question, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? He says, don't be deceived. And then he lists out sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the the kingdom of God's kingdom. And look what he says. And some of you used to be just like this. It's clear for us today that the hope of heaven has nothing to do with your behavior or you doing anything to earn it. It is merely by God's grace. And God's grace and him sending Christ to pay the punishment for our rebellion, for our sin, and trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection... The Bible says that when we do that, our lives are changed. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he calls us here and encourages us here to be conquerors. Look at it here in verse 7. The one who conquers will inherit these things. The one who conquers. What does that mean to conquer? He's speaking here of the one who is faithful to the end. I've said this to you probably, gosh, 35 times in the 10 years I've been your pastor. The evidence of the authenticity of your salvation is not based on your enlistment. It is based on your endurance. That's what it means to be a conqueror. That you are faithful to the end. Not that you prayed a prayer in VBS in fourth grade. 
but that you're a conqueror, that you are continuing. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. doesn't mean that you don't have mistakes. doesn't mean that there's seasons where you're not where you need to be with the Lord. But there is a consistency in your life, a pattern of brokenness of sin and a desire to, to pursue God and to honor Him in all that you do. What does it mean to be a conqueror? John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And so today, as we consider these new heavens and new earth, I pray that you would be encouraged, not just to long for that day, but to walk by faith this day. That we would overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony of what Christ has done for us. Some of us, we may have heard the phrase before that, People would say, well, I want to be so heavenly minded, or that person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That's a great sounding statement, except it's a terrible one. Because I believe that the more earthly minded we are, the more earthly good we are. I think this is why the call from Scripture in Colossians 3 is to to set our minds on things above. I think it's why Paul calls us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I want to close with this famous statement from C.S. Lewis on the importance of us being heavenly minded, of living every day, understanding and pursuing the hope of heaven and what God is preparing for us. Lewis says this in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, this means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built the Middle Ages. The English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. He says this, aim for heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Today I want to ask you, are you confident in this moment that heaven is your home? Again, there's a final warning that is given here that the hope of heaven is not for everybody. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you haven't, today's your day. Today's the day that you become a conqueror by placing your faith in Christ and beginning this faith journey. For some of you today, you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you have taken your eyes off heaven. Your focus has become more on the here and now and on yourself. And today God is reminding you, this is not your home. Some of you, your passions, your time, your finances, all of it has been so directed to this world. And God today in his love towards you is saying, 
what are you doing? You know what I'm convinced of in this room? Not a single one of you have ever paid money to renovate a hotel room. That would be foolish. Because you're there for a moment and then you're gone. Today, for the believers in Christ, would you be reminded this is not your home? And would your life reflect that? Would you walk with that type of hope? Would you talk with that type of peace? Would you talk with that, ty- with that type of intentionality in your life? That Yes, there's an incredible promise that is coming and let us live in response to it today. Would you bow your heads with me today? I want to give us a moment to respond today. Because I believe with every fiber in my being that there are some of you here today that you couldn't answer a definitive yes if I were to ask you, is heaven going to be your home? And right now in this moment, I just want to give you the opportunity to say, hey, Michael, I want to change that. I, I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm ready to follow Him. And I believe with every fiber of my being that for some of us in here, as a believer in Christ, we have become so earthly-minded that our lives are reflecting it. And we're giving all that we are to things that won't last. And today, the Spirit of God is reminding you, this is not your home. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing, Oh, praise the name again. And I pray with the vigor that you sang it earlier that we would sing it with even more as we've been reminded today of what God is accomplishing and what He's preparing for us. And as we do, some of you, you need to step out and you need to come forward and you need to speak with someone because today you know you need Christ. Or today, just in continuing with what we started last week, you know of people in your life that right now, they're not living with the hope of heaven. And today, you just want to come and to join in with someone and to pray for that person. Maybe you've got another spiritual need in your life. I don't know what it is, but we want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God is telling you in your heart right now. So, Father, in this moment as we come to you, we are thankful that because of Christ, our future is secure. We are thankful there is a new creation, a new reality and a new future that is coming for those that are in Christ. And Lord, I pray for that person in here today. They have been wishy-washy maybe for years about their relationship with you. But today, by your grace, you've brought them to a moment where today is the day they say yes and go all in to follow you. Father, help us to respond in this moment. Spirit of God, We know that you're working for our good and your glory. Would we respond to what you're calling us to in this moment? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.